Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello and welcome. Cheers for your ears. This is episode 130 of We Are Going Up. I'm Mark Crossley. Thanks for all the comments about our hashtag Say No to League Three special last week. You were listening to it on the train, I yeah. believe. Re-listening to it on the train. Lovely. Yeah, Jim Knight is, uh, is back with us. David Cameron Walker is here as well. Hello. And uh, Jim, you were just telling us off air there that you didn't actually go to the Leicester Victory Parade, which no. DC was uh, gobsmacked at. Yeah, why on earth didn't you go? Playing golf instead. Oh, I was hacking Jesus my way around Christ an awful thing. Golf. Golf. I know. Come I'm not on, very good mate. at golf either. Come on, mate. I know. Well, I went to the game. The, the the reason why is that I went to the game against Doncaster. I saw them lift the trophy. And I've done a lot of the away games and stuff this year, so probably more than I ever have before. And for want of a better term, the Doncaster game was full of idiots who just like invaded the pitch and caused a real kind of ruckus and the parade of the trophy very nearly didn't happen. So I just sat it off. I was angry. I was angry at the I idiots. I don't know whether we, as Watford fans, may well be to blame for this, but <laughs> it seems to be a bloody pitch invasion every five minutes at the moment. Yeah. It does. It? I saw my brother uh, tweet. There, there are exceptional circumstances at Vicarage Road. <laughs> Unbelievable scenes what? had happened in Do front you know of what? them. Not Now everyone, anyone with a modicum of success, they're all on the bloody pitch. I saw someone uh, screenshot Shot a Facebook group of the, the Empire Championship, so it's like a fans group, mm. and then some Watford fan with no irony whatsoever is tweeting, "What kind of tin pot club has a pitch <laughs> well, invasion after is... a semi-final of a player?" My, my brother tweeted about this last night and says, oh, "Invading after a semi-final hashtag tin pot," and uh, you'd probably be listening to this as well. Last day of the season, five years ago in Accrington, when we knew we weren't going up, he invaded the bloody pitch. <laughs> okay. Who are all these people? Anyway, drum roll. Because we've got more important business to get to. Hello. The We Are Going Up Fantasy Football oh, League. Oh, no. <laughs> DC was excited then. 2013-2014. God, I haven't changed my team in so long. In fifth place, Jim Stewart-Evans oh, uh, with Slackers FC. Me, then. Uh, James Pickles in fourth. The Mighty Fifth. Actually, my fourth. Uh, so we've got Sir Alex Salajan City in third, Pascal Evans, Kovbor in second, and Gary Mackay. Resign or die. Congratulations, the winner of the We Are Going Up Championship Fantasy Football. Here we go. Forget that bit, though. The most important bit. In 11th place, Carl McQueen, FC de Tropicana. Again, bloody hell. Too much time on his hands. 30th place, Mark Crossley, Jekyll and the Bunnyman. Good. 35th place, Jim Knight going nuts at the KP. I'll take that. 47th place, uh, David Cameron Walker. We are hopefully going up. Uh, console yourself, though, with the fact that Sonny Morell and the Red and Blue Army finished 96th. So you were top half. Okay. So that's, yeah. that's, that's not too bad. Kind of uh, like Watford, really. We're looking <laughs> yeah, we, exactly. we were bottom half. Oh, in the end. Yeah. Right. Oh dear. Well, thanks to everyone who got involved with that this season. Uh, if you're wondering, by the way, how our start of season predictions went, we're oh, going to play those out on the last show yeah. of the season in a couple of weeks' time. Can I that one off. I think I did it <laughs> horrifically bad. Uh, this week, though, we're going to be looking forward to the remaining League One and League Two playoff second legs. Rotherham and Preston uh, on Thursday night. Uh, that Joe Garner goal. Also, uh, Fleetwood, York, and Southend and Burton, the second legs of those games as well. 
well take place on Friday and Saturday. In the Championship, though, the lineup for Wembley has already been sealed. QPR will be playing Derby for a place in the Premier League on Saturday, May the 24th, after both sides progressed from their semi-finals this week. Later on, we'll preview the final. We're going to speak to Charlie Ashcroft, uh, who's on the... You've got the squeakiest chair in the, in the yeah, world. Sorry about that. Uh, Charlie Ashcroft from the QPR podcast Open All Ours, plus Owen Bradley, who's a sports presenter and journalist at BBC Radio Derby. Uh, QPR squeezed past Wigan 2 1 after extra time on Monday night, whilst Derby thrashed Brighton 4 1 at the iPro on Sunday for a 6 2 aggregate win. Well done to both sets of fans, by the way, for those uh, stand up for the 56 chance paying tribute to the uh, the Bradford yeah, Fire disaster, yeah. which were a fantastic touch. Uh, it is with Brighton, uh, who were beaten by Derby, that we're going to start this week because that hammering at Derby was the final game in charge for their manager. Oscar Garcia, who after just 11 months in charge at the Amex, has left. The Spaniard offered his resignation following the Seagulls' second successive playoff exit, stating, we didn't have the best of luck. We were simply beaten by the better team. Overall, when all things are considered, particularly our terrible luck with injuries, I think it's been an excellent year for the club. Nonetheless, Brighton, for the second summer in a row, are on the lookout for a new manager. Let's now talk to a man who follows the Seagulls week in, week out, and for the past six years has been a co-host of the Albion Raw, an unofficial Brighton and Albion podcast and radio show which can be downloaded on iTunes or you can listen to it Saturday at midday on Radio Reverb in Brighton 97.2 FM. He is Alan Wares and we're pleased to say that Alan joins us on the line right now. Alan, thank you very much for coming on the show. Let's start with the news about Oscar Garcia if we can. How disappointed are you that he's decided to leave? Uh, it is disappointing. Um, the, the, I think the, the, what I feel, and I think what a hell of a lot of fans actually feel, is, is that we, we certainly didn't get the best of him. He came with, with, with uh, some fantastic credentials. He'd just got Maccabi Tel Aviv into the uh, Champions League. Um, he's, he's a product of the, the Barcelona system. He's got uh, Johan Cruyff as his Fengali. He, he came with, with, with some, some superb references. Um, he said at the beginning of the season he was committed to attack. Um, but we never really saw that. So I think in, in, in reflection with how we feel the season's gone, there's a lot of people who are kind of disappointed. Like, and, I, and I understand this. There's a lot of people who are disappointed with um, the fact that we, we, we're kind of slow and ponderous. And while we try to carry on the similar Hispanic level of possession of football and keeping it on the ground and things like that, it didn't really didn't really sort of come to the fore. And I think you need that blend of Spanish football with a bit more pace of the English football. And I think that Oscar was still on that learning curve. And, and so when he then sort of cuts it off, decapitates his career in England, just pretty much, you know, with, without too much prior warning, it's, it's, it's a little disappointing. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to see him go because I certainly feel we didn't get the best out of him. If you look at the job that he's done, really, he must, you must say, really, he's done very well. Because if you think Ashley Barnes and Liam Bridcut, two key players, were sold in the, in the January transfer window, there was no real significant incomings, a few loans here and there, but there was no money spent on anyone in the summer or, or in January of any note. So, and plus the, the aforementioned injuries that he's had to deal with. And so finishing the playoffs for, for a second consecutive season for Brighton um, was a, a real good achievement. Absolutely, and I think what you've done there is you've kind of zeroed in on what a lot of people feel that are the reasons that, that Oscar has gone. That um, I mean, he, 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 he's, not, he's not a grumbler. He's a man of great dignity, but one of the few things he's said that are critical is, is the fact he feels that the, the dealings from the club in the, in the January transfer window left his squad shorter than he went into the January transfer window. So, you know, Ashley Barnes, he was kind of the club's second striker, but he was still key to the season. Liam Bridcup probably wasn't such a big miss because we'd actually just unearthed uh, a new talent, Rowan Ince, that we picked up as a, as a Chelsea cast-off 
Um, and and Rome was doing very well. And we also got Keith Andrews in that position. But from there on in, um, the second half of the season was actually quite tricky. And I think, uh, ironically, even the bigger miss was not ironically. I'm not. Uh, uh, was it the Shania Twain that sang ironic? Alanis Morissette. Badly. Alanis Morissette. Alanis Morissette. Yeah, she, she didn't understand ironic either. <laughs> um, I think the biggest miss was at when Andrew Crofts got injured this season. He was an, uh, an attacking midfielder, box to box midfielder, great engine, Welsh international. He got crocked. It was just a, a, a really nothing challenge, and, and, and he went down. And some part of his leg is now sort of completely broken. And he he was the fellow I think that we've we've missed most. Uh, in the second half of the season but to actually then carry on and, and, and get into the playoffs in the way that we did yeah it's an amazing achievement but then we do know that the championship is an absolute basket case of a division um, and you know anything can happen at any time You mentioned the uh, the recruitment policy there and uh, obviously the fact that uh, sort of uh, Ashley Barnes wasn't replaced and so on it must be a bit of a concern to Brighton fans no matter sort of how uh, well the club is progressing you know two years in the playoffs fantastic stadium that two managers have left in well, basically the space of a year It's, it's a concern um, in as much as that there's you know we, we're trying to get stability and a momentum and, and we have to come up with a new manager each time. And they've gone for, for evidently different reasons. I mean, Gus was sacked, quote, for mis- gross misconduct. What that actually uh, entailed, quite rightly, we don't know. It's, it's a matter between the club and, and him. Oscar, you know, we're zeroing, and I say we're zeroing in on the fact that he feels that he wasn't supported in the, in the player recruitment. Yes, it's a concern, you know, as, as, as all of us fans, that we know there's not a great deal we can do about it. And we're only going to judge the club and how it how it operates on the players. You know, we can get from from here on in moving forward. And, and obviously, whoever the new manager is going to be, hopefully, will be key in, in you know the, the recruitment policy actually getting in the quality that I feel we need. Uh, the bookmakers' markets can sometimes be a little bit of a steer as to where the initial um, interest is going to be. And Tim Sherwood's very short with a number of different bookmakers um, at the moment. Bookmakers do my head in. <laughs> they really do. I mean, the, You're speaking you know, to one there with Jim. So. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, Jim. It's fine. You said you couldn't offend any of us and then you just went off piste and did it anyway. So it's fine. At least it wasn't say. football related. It's fine. Well, that's fine. That's fine. I think it's also because I'll tell you what, there is one little thing I would say is that when it comes to betting, a few years ago, Brighton were, were a low second division side. We, again, we were punching above our weight. We were playing it with Dean, had no money. We went to West Ham. Um, West Ham were at the top of the second division. This is whatever it was in those days. It might have been a championship, it might have been League One, whatever it was called. And uh, I saw a bet just as I was going into um, Upton Park and it said, Brighton to score first and Guy Butters, uh, sorry, Guy Butters to score first, Brighton to win 1-0, 170 to 1. And you think, a tenner on that, if that comes in, that's that's your, your happy weekend sorted out. Crikey, but that I'm is not, a weekend and all. And the rest. 1,700 quid. <laughs> oh, in Brighton, it's, it's, it's a quiet one, believe me. Um, but then, you know, lo and behold, Brighton win 1-0, Guy Butters gets the, gets the header. But it's that cautionary tale. If I'd have taken that bet, it wouldn't have happened. You know how these things pan out. So... Um, I'm glad I didn't take the bet because it meant the three points and that is more important than a happy weekend in Brighton which I can have every weekend anyway. So Tim Sherwood then, what do you think of the potential appointment there? Is he going to be, I mean you said about Oscar Garcia not being backwards and coming forwards, Tim Sherwood's certainly been good for the media and for the kind of industry in terms of sound bites and things over the last few weeks. Is, is he the kind of appointment that you think the Brighton board would be looking at? I can't help feeling there's, there's a side of me that thinks that 
when it comes to, to managers sort of mouthing off, that the club might be a little bit once bitten, twice shy, because mm-hmm. you had you had Gus, who was, again, never backwards in coming forwards and, and possibly sometimes saying the wrong thing. Whether the PR angle of side of it is something that concerns the club, I don't know. But in terms of his experience and quality, he is very much untried and untested. Um, all right, he's had half a season where he inherited a, you know, a pretty um, star-laden squad. How that would work you know, in a, an environment that he's probably not that used to, a, a second division club, albeit with premiership ambitions, um, it's it's going to be quite a tricky one. I, I can't help feeling there's a there's an element of fish out of water. That's that's the thing that really, you know, is my my gut feeling on that one. Regardless of who comes in, you say it's yeah. a club with Premier League ambitions, and yeah. I suppose if you look at the last sort of three or four years, you know, including the stadium move as well, that the, there's been significant money spent on Brighton, but it appears to be, as you just mentioned, that it's at a stage now where perhaps there aren't going to be too many funds forthcoming um, for the new manager if there are maybe Oscar Garcia will have a few raised eyebrows whenever he turns up next um, how I mean just, just from the face of it it doesn't seem to be too much that's needed to make that next step to playoffs two seasons in a row fallen at the semi-final hurdle but with a bit of investment over the summer with the new man that comes in you know Brighton should have ambitions of being challenging for, for automatic promotion at least but you, you worry that maybe Paul Barber and the, and the hierarchy there aren't prepared to spend um, as, as a consideration, it's 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 a worry that the Brighton fans would have. I mean, they, the the club likes to tell you that it's 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 got ambitions to move forward. I mean, you have to bear in mind that um, you know it's, this this football club is effectively in in its current state. It's only about three years old. You know, millions upon millions heard to be spent on the infrastructure, the stadium, the training facility that's being built, even you know the environment of around the train station next to the ground and the buses, and, and there's millions that had to be spent. And with now FFP, that the, the club is actually taking very, very seriously, the, the, it's, it's trying to cut its cloth accordingly. Now, Tony Bloom is actually a very generous man. He's a very rich man. Um, he's, he's Brighton and Hove Albion to, you know, through the, you know, to the core. And given the opportunity, we'd love to be able to spend what he wants to spend. But by the same token, they now want to be within the rules of FFP. Um, and so there's, I kind of feel there's an element of we've missed the boat. Although the, the English football generally, I think, is, is run, you know, in business terms, very, very badly. I mean, every single club makes a loss, and they're, they're largely unsustainable losses. Football's now trying to get its house, or elements of football, are trying to get their house in order, and the Albion are trying to do that very much so. So to the point that you know they're going to be in a position where they can't offer the sort of money that players would previously have been offered. You'd like to think the cl- other clubs would be in the same boat and therefore makes it a more even playing field. And of course, we can't do that because we can't compete, for instance, with the parachute payments. It's going to be a lot more difficult, which makes the point I think that you guys were making earlier quite an achievement that we've made the playoffs. We might have a spanking stadium. We might be considered you know, this really nice nouveau riche club. But I'm afraid that probably the, the reality is slightly different. There is other clubs that over the past sort of four or five years have had parachute payments and therefore will be in a more advantageous position to us. Um, looking at this season, you've played Derby four times and you've been beaten by them four times. So I don't suppose yeah, you can have that. I don't suppose you can have too many complaints about uh, about going out in the semi-finals. For whoever the next manager is, and maybe you could sort of you know give us your opinion on on kind of what kind of manager you think Brian should bring in. Uh, what are the areas of the squad that I mean you mentioned before sort of up front? What are the key areas that Brighton are lacking in at the moment that is preventing them sort of taking that next step? 
Well, make no mistake. I mean, the the the, the triumph this season has been the defence and a fairly ancient creaking defence. I mean, it was pretty ungenerous. I think it was only Dar- um, not Dar- only Burnley conceded fewer goals this season, and yet the average age of the defence was 32. I think Stephen Ward was the real puppet of that lot, who was only 28. And we've got Matthew Upson, who must be the oldest man in rock and roll. They were brilliant. They were fantastic. What we had then was um, a fairly naive, unimaginative midfield, which wasn't really feeding quickly enough and imaginatively enough a not bad forward line. Now, we had Leo Joe, who was out injured for a while, but he's, he's a, a, a decent striker. We lost Ashley Barnes and we replaced them with Lingard. Um, we certainly need more strikers and I think we need more creativity in midfield. We have youngsters coming through, but if we have, again, designs on premiership ambitions um, in the next couple of years, I think we need to bring more people in than the, the youngsters could actually cope with right now. I mean, it's, it's great news today, for instance, that two Brighton players have been selected for the England under-21 squad, um, Jake Forster-Kasky and Solly March. That's great. But in terms of you know league and Premier League stability, they're not quite ready yet. We still need a bit more experience. So it's, it's certainly going forward that we need it. We only scored 55 goals. And for a team with Premier League ambitions, that's not good enough. Where do you think um, Garcia will end up, by the way? Do you think he'll go back to Spain? I suspect he'll go home back to Spain. I mean, that's, well, that's a guess, but... I think we probably looked, took two looks at English football and thought, this is crazy. <laughs> OK, finally, uh, Alan, before you go, yeah. tell us a little bit about um, the Albion Roar then. Because uh, I know you've had, some, you've had some really good guests on it, haven't you, recently? We have, we have. And we had some really rubbish ones as well. Um, <laughs> no names. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that started up through community radio down here in Brighton. I came on there as a guest and they just didn't get rid of me. And eventually the two original presenters disappeared. And there's myself and a fellow called Adrian Packham He's the main presenter. I'm the regular guest. And we have one or two people on each week to talk about the, the hot topics. And, and as you know, with podcasts, these things, an hour is, you know, it, it flies by. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've had everyone in the hierarchy of, of, the, of the board. We've had Tony Bloom on, Paul Barber, Dick Knight, the life president, previous chairman. We've had an absolute hero, Inigo Calderon. He's a fellow that everyone down here loves. <laughs> um, he's probably not so appreciated by other t- other teams. He, he, he does have a habit of falling over, but his work with Albin, the community, is, it, it just makes him a, a, an absolute hero and a, and a legend. He's got that kind of swarthy, swashbuckling appearance about him. We also have regular fans on. We've got uh, we've, we've had Adam Virgo, uh, former player, mm. on, now pundit on BT Sport. He's he he's, he was on last week. He finished the show at the end of last week's show forgetting that he was actually supposed to be going to Derby the next day. It probably would have been better if he'd missed it, to be honest. Seeing well, the yeah, there is that. I mean, <laughs> I'm, sorry to, I'm sorry to say that that game was men against boys and Derby were you know, obviously very worthy winners. I mean, I, 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 maybe, I don't know, maybe Derby fans surprised themselves as to how good they were, but... Well, we're going to be talking about them on the show in a minute. We should finally say, Alan, that you can uh, you can get the show on iTunes and it's on Saturdays at midday on uh, Radio Reverb, which is in Brighton, yes? And at www.albionraw, that's R-O-A-R, UK. Good man. Thanks very much for coming on, Alan. Enjoy the summer. Cheers, buddy. Uh, so we will speak in just a minute, as I just mentioned, about the two sides who got to Wembley, QPR and Derby, because next season, uh, one of them will be back in the Premier League. <laughs> 
So on Saturday, May the 24th at Wembley, we've only 90 million quid at stake. Steve McLaren, who remember started the season coaching QPR, will be taking on QPR and Harry Redknapp at Wembley. For the winners, it will mean promotion. For the losers, another season in the championship in a few minutes. We're going to hear more about QPR's tense 2-1 extra time win against Wigan at Loftus Road. But first, Derby demolished Brighton 4-1 at the iPro on Sunday, 6-2 on aggregate to seal their place in the final. Owen Bradley, a friend of the show, is a sports reporter and a journalist at BBC Radio Derby. And we spoke to Owen a short time ago and I started by asking him just how impressed he was by that second leg performance. Uh, yeah, 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 really impressed. Um, there, were, there were a few nerves uh, around the iPro before the game when we heard that Craig Bryson was out. Um, as early as that morning, I've been told, yeah, he's got a sore back, but we think he'll be fine. And, and when he wasn't there, you know, losing your, your player of the season, a guy who's been really important to Derby uh, for the whole campaign, even before Steve McLaren arrived, there were a few nerves. But, you know, settled down very quickly when Will Hughes scored what I think is, is one of the best goals in the championship this season. Absolutely world class. And from there, confidence flowed through them. They were fantastic for, for the whole game. And, uh, and, you know, playoffs can sometimes be nervy and edgy and, you know, a bit boring and a bit tight. But Derby haven't been that this season and, uh, and they certainly weren't that on Sunday. And, th- and there was four different goal scorers on Sunday, which I suppose has been a feature of Derby's season in a way. I know Chris Martin's got the, the lion's share himself, but there's been goals from all over the team from up front, from in midfield as well, uh, which I think gives you a, a real, you know, one of, is one of the key advantages you'd look to at Derby over QPR in the finals, that there, there are so many goals in the team. Well, they just score goals full stop, Derby. Um, top scorers in the division, you know, even above Leicester, who, who got promoted as champions, and rightly so. They get goals from everywhere. I mean, the fact that Chris Martin has scored, I think it's now 25 for the whole campaign. First Derby player to do that for about 35, 40 years. The fact that he's done that and didn't win player of the year or supporters player or players player says a lot about everybody else in the team. You know, Will Hughes has got, I think, five now but said to me after the game, I've not scored enough goals this campaign. <laughs> Jeff Hendricks suddenly found a bit of form uh, in front of goal. Patrick Bamford has, has scored his eight. Yeah, they get goals from everywhere, and that's what's been so impressive about them all season is the fact that they've, they've been able to get goals from all over the pitch. And there is this great stat, isn't there, that when uh, Steve McLaren left QPR and came in at Derby, that um, there were 12 points clear QPR of Derby uh, and now obviously Derby finished above them and they're going to meet at Wembley do you think this is the kind of thing that McLaren will, will relish taking on Harry Redknapp? Oh certainly uh, Steve is is continuing this you know where it was an, I think it, the, the term he used is an innocent climb it's been an innocent climb for his players but you know this had to be the aim when they arrived was to get into the playoffs and, and they've achieved that aim and, and really the previews right themselves you know Steve McLaren struggling to get a job back in England after his struggles at Forest and, and you know, the second spell at Twente and, and England and all that. He gets an opportunity at Queen's Park Rangers from, from Harry Redknapp, who was one of his rivals really over the years. And now they'll meet again with, with Steve having had a fantastic impact there. And he's, he's spoken in, in absolutely glowing terms about the three months that he had at QPR and about the players and particularly Joey Barton and what a big fan he is of, of Joey as, as a football and as a person as well, actually. And so the, the story's written in so many 
in so many different fronts, but but particularly that one. And I think Steve, like his players, is raring to go. I wanted to ask about Lee Grant for a minute because uh, from watching the the, the final uh, the semi finals and you know getting a, a view of Derby over the season a couple of times, he's been just as important, hasn't he, as as any of your uh, your goal scorers in terms of keeping the team on track. He's been an ever present in the team and just some superb saves in the over the two games we've seen in the last week. But that seems to be something that's kind of been replicated throughout the whole season. Yeah, he's never present. He's the only one as well now that's played every minute of every game. Uh, the thing I say about Lee Grant was that, that when he came back to the club, uh, there were a lot of doubters for the first month or two of the season. Um, he didn't command the area. He looked nervy. I think that translated to the back four as well in front of him. But since Eric Steele arrived from Manchester United, well, from an employment actually, but, but after leaving Manchester United in the summer, uh, Lee Grant has come on in leaps and bounds, and uh, and he's just you know developed to, to a, in a way that you don't necessarily expect a senior, experienced pro to develop. But as you said, some of the saves he's made throughout the season have been have been top notch. I probably think he made at least four really important saves in over the two games against Brighton, and he's been vitally important. But you mustn't forget that the back four in front of him as well. I mean, as a unit, that five since Andre Wisdom arrived really uh, back in the autumn. As a unit, that back five have been fantastic. They've turned things around in that regard. We always knew Derby could play exciting, uh, attacking, attractive football. They did that under Nigel Clough, but it was the other way that they that they didn't really get it. And since the new coaching staff arrived, the back five have stepped up. The rest of the team have followed, you know, in learning their roles, in learning their jobs. And, and Derby have done fantastically well since. Is there anything that you, yourself, as someone that obviously watches Derby very closely, uh, but all the fans as well, is there anything that would cause you concern about QPR? Because we watched the game last night and I mean, Charlie Austin was, was the difference in the end and, you know, him coming back from injuries, you know, real big help for them in the playoffs. But... You know, there doesn't seem to be that much pace in the side. You know, they're physical up front, but as you've just mentioned, you've got a big defence, big physical defence that could certainly handle them. I, I can't see, looking at it objectively, Derby do look the team that you'd fancy to win this game in almost every area. But of course, you know, it's a big game. It might not go like that. But is there anything you'd be worried about QPR? Um, I think they undoubtedly have quality. You know, the likes of Charlie Austin, uh, Cranshaw, um, Ravel Morrison... Bobby Zamora, you know, that they are undoubtedly quality players. Whether, you know, two of the four that I've mentioned actually get picked by Harry Redknapp to start at Wembley is a different matter. I mean, to be honest, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, Derby finished third for a reason. I know QPR had injury problems, but Derby finished third for a reason. I think they play fantastic football. Um, what would worry me? QPR have more experience of, of the big game. And I spoke to the, the Derby first team coach, Paul Simpson, today and and he said that the players actually kind of held their hands up a little bit after the first leg in Brighton and said, you know, maybe the occasion got to us because they won that game, but they weren't at their best, not not even close. Um, so, so, you know, does that mean you're concerned about the occasion maybe getting to Derby? Perhaps, but you would hope they've got it out of their system. Um, as Derby learned the last time that they went to Wembley for the player final in 2007, West Brom that day were by far the better team but Derby were resilient, got a goal on the break and, and won promotion. And so Derby fans know that that could easily happen again. And, and what QPR have done so well all season is keep it tight and keep it close. That's what's happened in, in the two games that, that the two teams have played already. Uh, and in a tight, close game like that, 
if Derby don't get a goal up, if, if they struggle in front of goal, perhaps then the nerves start to set in. But, you know, I would say Derby are the favourites, um, having seen them all season uh, and the way that they've played of late as well. But you just don't know with the quality players that the Queen's Park Rangers have. And the fact that, you know, Radnap could do anything he wanted with them really on the day. He could show us something that, that, that we've not seen before from them. And they could cause Derby problems. But, you know, a one-off game at Wembley, Anything can happen, uh, and I'd certainly have to back Derby. So that's Owen Bradley from BBC Radio Derby speaking to us earlier with the Rams' perspective on things. Uh, let's get the opposite view now then and talk about QPR. They made it to Wembley with that nervy 2-1 extra-time win against Wigan at Loftus Road on Monday, uh, which was followed by uh, Tony Fernandez, Very uh, struggling, really, with how to celebrate as a middle-aged man. Well, middle-aged none of them can. No, I think once no. you get past the age of about 50, that's it. You can't celebrate gracefully ever again. It was the most unconvincing celebration I've ever seen. He didn't know quite what to do. Anyway, the most important thing is QPR are in the final. One man who was there on Monday night is Charlie Ashcroft. Charlie's presenter on Amazing Radio and he produces the QPR Open All Ours podcast. Charlie, thank you very much for joining us. I've seen a lot of QPR fans on social media saying that uh, Loftus Road was bouncing last night. Tell us about the atmosphere and were you getting a little bit nervy those last couple of minutes? Oh, extremely. You were coming corner after corner after <laughs> corner. Scott Carson limbering up to try and head home a really cruel equaliser for Wigan. But um, yeah, it was as loud as it's been. It's been quite a quiet season at Loftus Road in terms of like the, the crowd and the atmosphere. I think there just hasn't been that sense of urgency or people getting G'd up necessarily by the performances. And so last night kind of took us back to maybe when we were last in the playoffs, going back 11 years when we were playing Oldham in League One's semi-finals on the way to play Cardiff in Cardiff. It was probably not quite as loud as that because that's often documented as the loudest ever night at Loftus Road. But it was it was pretty damn good, I think, compared to what has been served up this season. I think that G'd on the players quite a lot and they definitely put in a shift. So it was uh, yeah, a great night, obviously very tense towards the end, but we, we held it, we sort of held our own, I think, and, and stuck to the task and obviously eventually managed to uh, get the win. And the difference, uh, you know, on the night, it was a very good performance from QPR, I have to say. It's a thoroughly deserved a victory. But the, the difference in terms of the goals was Charlie Austin. He's come back into the team after those few months with injury. And, you know, really, that that is absolutely crucial for you, this, you know, going into this playoff final. Because, you know, this this season, there's been a bit of negativity surrounding QPR this season, what with the amount of money spent and the wage bill and all that and the expectations of being in the top two. But, you know, the one real positive to take from this season has been the performance of Austin. He has delivered the goods for you when he's played and you know he will give you confidence that if he can get the goals at, at Wembley you could go through. He was absolutely crucial you know in the past few weeks as well as earlier on in the season it's been great to have him for the run-in because at one point you had Harry in the press saying that that Charlie wouldn't be back before the end of the season and we've had a little bit of bad luck with injuries I know there's been a fair amount of negativity surrounding the club and it's, it's been quite heartbreaking actually as someone who's been there you know, for for many years, you know, supporting them through thick and thin to see us become a club that other clubs now hate because of the money situation, because of the debt, because of the players who we've brought in. And I think over the course of the season, you know, there's, there has been that little twinge of negativity attributed to the club. But I think we've also got people now realising that even though we have that. There's certain players within the team who actually are grafters, and even though they've been around the block a little bit, we've got certain players that do care about the club and are pulling in the right direction. And even though I couldn't necessarily name our first choice eleven going into Wembley for you today, um, I still think Harry's now got a good little nucleus of 17 or 18 players that he'd be able to choose from because there were a number of systems at 
thing the other night, which all seemed to work at just the right time, whether it's bringing on um, Yun for Clint Hill down the left, or even just when Morrison came on, or even moving Cranshaw to the base of the midfield to put in a little bit of a sort of defensive role, even though apparently he was playing injured. Yeah, all the systems kind of seemed to work, so that kind of gave us a little bit of flexibility in addition to the knowledge that will always get you goals. So uh, great to have him back, uh, even if other players haven't returned from their long-term injuries. But um, good to see that there is a bit of flexibility and give us a little bit of hope going into the game against Derby. And you've got to say that uh, Bobby Zamora made an impact as well when he came on. Absolutely. It's like a man reborn. You know, he's been <laughs> playing injured for maybe the best part of 12 to 18 months and been nowhere, really. He came on... I think it was in a game just, I can't remember which game it was, but he came on as a sub, sort of a bit of a comeback in January and was kind of ironically cheered when he came on. And it was a bit, it was a bit sad to see because you were kind of, I had heard that he might be over his injury problems. Last night he came on and Wigan's defence couldn't cope with him. It was the kind of classic Bobby Zamora performance from say three or four years ago from when, you know, when we signed him, you, you think he had that little, purple patch and was getting a few goals for us it was like he was when he was used to be performing so well at Fulham but after Caldwell went off it didn't seem like Wigan really coped with his presence his presence led to the penalty and he assisted the winning goal in extra time as well Charlie I wanted to get your take on a couple of stories that I, I read today that Harry Redknapp might be struggling with a, a, an injury. Um, I think it was a knee injury. People were he's suggesting. Not gonna, he's not going to play. I'm not going to play. No, no, that. no. But in terms of his ability to continue managing the side, it's just the way you said uh, it. Yeah, you know, you know, he might bring himself on for a last minute, put himself up front. But um, is there any kind of uh, light you can shed on that in terms of obviously his speculation? Speculation about his future is rife anyway, as it always will be with Harry Redknapp. He'll be constantly linked with the jobs. But is there any suggestion of you know what will happen? regardless of whether or not you go up, is there anything that you, you know from your uh, your time spent close to the club? It's all a little bit up in the air at the moment. He had a knee operation last summer and was on crutches for the early part of the season. He brought in Steve McLaren to kind of be in charge on the training pits alongside his regular team of Kevin Bond and Joe Jordan. And there's that sense sometimes you get with Harry that maybe he's not fully allied to the club in the same way that he would have been at previous clubs and that maybe his heart's not in it. I think it's a little bit difficult to read what's going on in someone's mind. You know, he's, he's the oldest manager in the Football League. You never know what his plans are, whether he's sick of commuting from Dorset up to London to work every morning. You know, it's, it's hard to say whether he'll stay or go, irrespective of whether we stay up. I think it becomes a little bit of a guessing game until you know what happens on Saturday week. You may think, you know what, I've proved that I'm a good manager and I can get a team who are in a little bit of disarray. You know, if you told us at the start of the season we'd be in the playoff final, I think many fans would have just told you you were mad because there was that sense that maybe we'd do a bit of a Wolves and plummet through another division before actually coming up and we'd need another season of cleansing and getting rid of some of the big earners and some of the slightly, I don't know, slightly infectious in a, sort of, in a bad way, it's some of the infectious players that, that were on our books. But we've ended up fourth. Um, we've put together a decent run towards the end of the season, pretty much. We played a hell of a competitive Wigan side over two legs. And maybe this is Harry's chance to kind of bow out on a high and then leave it to someone else. You never know. It's a bit of a Premier League merry-go-round in terms of managerial personnel. So you never know what might be around the corner. There may be part of him, if he's G'd on by our, you know, if he's completely... Sort of raised in terms of spirits for how we get on at Wembley as part of him that may think do you know what might give the Premier League another crack for a couple of seasons and see what happens We asked uh, Owen earlier on 
kind of what, if any, uh, things he was worried about in terms of QPR taking on Derby in the final. And I suppose I'll ask the same question to you now. The games against Derby in this season, you beat them once at Loftus Road and then they beat you up at the iPro. So um, even Stevens, as far as that's concerned, but just watching the semi-final and seeing Derby as I have done a few times this season, the big thing about them is they're, abundance of goals not just from Chris Martin their, their big striker you know Craig Bryson's got 16 himself they've got goals from all over the pitch many players are, are pushing double figures in that team whereas with you it's basically Charlie Austin and then Revel Morrison's the next one I think on six or seven who you know he's only been at the club for a few months so that would be the concern if I was a QPR fan I mean are you, are you worried about Derby I mean are you confident you could maybe keep it tight and, and get a, a narrow victory I watched the second game, second leg of theirs against Brighton. I thought they were absolutely fantastic, and their form suggests that they will be extremely difficult to beat. And they're, yeah, they're a fantastic team. They've got a lot of pace about them as well. They and they press pretty high up the pitch. They they also have in Steve McLaren, someone who worked at QPR earlier in the season, and may have a few inside you know, bits of inside knowledge and a few inside stories. Um, we're going to have to put on a hell of a performance to try and slow them down. I think that's what we did in the first leg against Wigan to a degree. We were there to kind of break things up, be a little bit reserved, a little bit defensive, quite solid down the middle and try and attack down the flanks. And I think that may be what we end up trying to do at Wembley, trying to slow down the Derby attack. They've got a lot of young players. You don't know how that's going to play out on the day. Do their young players step up? and perform at Wembley to give the game of their lives or will any of them freeze compared to our very experienced, seasoned, international squad that has a lot of big game experience. It's going to be an interesting matchup. So I did fear them because, you know, ultimately they've come third and they were in good form going into the playoffs. It's not like they just missed out on automatic promotion. They've always knew they were going to pass through to the playoffs as the best team of the four who qualified. And so, you know, they've got a lot to be worried about but you know we've been solid I think with defenders like Ned Manua Richard Dunn's been pretty good over the past few games having come in for a little bit of slack mid-season I think you know we we can try and break things up a bit and try and slightly sort of almost calm things down in and amongst all that adrenaline that's going to be around and hopefully try and get a result ourselves because if we if we can try and attack like we did last night you know I think we can also provide a a pretty pretty hefty danger well enjoy the final Charlie thanks very much for coming on and speaking to it's us it's a pleasure thank you for having me good luck in the final that is uh, Charlie Ashcroft who is a regular uh, on the QPR podcast Open All Eyes producer as well and you can also hear him on Amazing Radio uh, so we talked about uh, the two sides there Jim do you see it being tight yeah I think it's kind of a clash of two styles really Charlie has kind of intimated exactly what I was going to say in that Derby have this kind of high intensity pressing game where they don't really let the opposition have any time on the ball and they're going to go all out attack because that's the only way they really know. It remains to be seen which one of those is going to kind of play out, really. You'd think with it being a final and with it being the £90 million game or however many <laughs> millions... twenty, I think. Is it? They've yeah, added yeah. a few on from yeah. last year, which is understandable. But <laughs> yeah, 30. you know, yeah, it happens every year, doesn't it? Um, you'd think it's probably going to be the tighter affair, particularly in the first 45 minutes. But I'd like to see a nice open uh, Tell you game. What, those uh, those midfield matching ups going to be interesting because Joey Barton I thought ran the show yeah, on Monday game. night and up He's against class act, isn't he? up against uh, uh, Hendrick and you know, Bryson and, and that midfield it's going to be quite an interesting yeah, matchup. We'll see if Hughes plays. Yeah, uh, we'll Hughes. George Thorne has been has been reasonably impressive for them as well. We should mention the Hughes goal. goal by the way, which was exceptional, Fantastic. wasn't it? I can't Actually. remember we mentioned that earlier with Owen. No, but I don't it think was... we did. But it's a brilliant goal back heel and it shows the quality that he's got. And, and as as Owen said, Hughes. 
has been disappointed with his. You know, that's probably the thing that you want. Want he wants to add to his game. You look at him, think he's got a you know all the talent, but doesn't score that many goals for for a midfield player. Um, I I think it's gonna be a great game. I'm pleased that those two teams you know are there because, like you said, Jim, I think it's an interesting matchup. You know, QPR's squad is packed with quality. Barton, as you mentioned, is a very good player at this level still. You know, Cranshaw, you know, is a player that... I mean, is he going to the World Cup with Croatia? I'd expect he would be, wouldn't he? Mm, and, so. and uh, you know, they've got a lot of players in there who've played at a higher level. And that's why people think that you know probably should have done better than they have done this season. But you know whatever you, you know they've they've they're in there. They didn't crumble. They're still in there. They've they've got a reasonable bit of form together towards the end of the season. They overcame uh, a good Wigan side last night. And I fancy Derby. I, I think Derby, just in terms of the goals, you know they scored twenty four more goals than QPR have all season. QPR, you know, on the other hand, have been tighter at the back. So that's there. That's to take into account as well. But you know you wouldn't bet against QPR they're certainly not out of it Derby might be slight favourites but it is only slight favourites and uh, it's, a, it's a cliche sure but I think it rings true the first goal I think is very important in this game because Derby I think if they get one and they play with confidence and they keep going forward then they could maybe get, get out of sight and overwhelm QPR I think the longer it goes goalless the tighter it is possibly the more that favours QPR Do you think Ravel Morrison will still be wearing gloves on May the 24th? <laughs> he <laughs> probably my, will do That's yeah. my next question Snood maybe <laughs> It's going to be a very very interesting matchup in the final well, It will be interesting on Ravel Morrison though I mean he didn't start did he? Against, no he didn't against Wigan He tweeted as well a leg. little sort of a emoticon of the kind of and what's he, that emoticon when you're like meh meh it was that emoticon he tweeted a couple I'm, of hours I'm before I'm not on my own emoticon <laughs> Mate, I'm afraid, but um, you know that this is a, a player that's been you know talked about earlier on in the season. People were saying that he might even go to the World Cup. Yeah. Obviously, that didn't come to pass. But he's a player with with big with a big future ahead of him. You'd think, and this is a big stage. This is a stage where a player like him could seize the moment if he's given the opportunity to play, or indeed if he comes off the bench again by uh, Redknapp brings him on. You know, he is apart from Austin. Austin's the main man for QPR. He's the one that they're going to be trying to get the ball to, give and get the ball in the box. He, he'll be, he'll finish the chances if they're there. But Morrison is the other player that you look to and think. In the absence of there being, and there's lots of good ball players, lots of good technical, reasonably good technical players in that team, and a good strong defence. But there isn't anyone with pace or skill apart from Morrison. So Morrison, I think, is, is could could play a decisive role in this match. And you might remember we actually said on the the show when they signed him on loan, they did so deliberately delaying it so that he could play in the playoff final. Yeah, and that's how it's come to pass. Uh, the final is at Wembley a week on Saturday at three o'clock. We'll have more on the League One and League Two playoffs and Wigan in a sec. But right now it's time for my club. That bit of the show where we hear from another fan in one. 125 seconds all to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the Football League and this week the focus is on Gillingham this is We Are Going Up my club in 125 seconds hi I'm Greg Pender and my club is Gillingham so Greg do you remember your first ever trip to the Priestfield yep uh, it was January 2004 an FA Cup third round replay against Walsall when we won 2-1 in extra time who scored the first goal uh, uh, in a Gillingham shape you ever saw it would be a known goal by I think his name was Tony Barris <laughs> it's a good start isn't it yeah but uh, Andy Thompson would be the first person who scored a Gillingham goal that I actually saw so I always ask about the worst stuff because I think it's more interesting who's the worst manager you've ever had worst manager probably would be Neil Cooper I'd say Mark Stimson didn't do great he took us down twice but he did get us promoted so Neil Cooper we come down to League One and uh we was doing terrible under him, to be honest. <laughs> and who's your, uh, in contrast to that, your favourite manager that Gillingham have had while you supported them? Toss up between Andy Hess and Tyler. Obviously, I think he's done amazing in the five years he had in the championship. 
and Martin and Allen for last season really winning the league title is the only time I've ever seen us win the league and that'll always be an amazing memory for me Is Hessenthaler's son still there? He is um, He's the guy who scored from the halfway it. line wasn't he? Yeah Keeper was out of his goal to be fair but cracking <laughs> Take nothing cracking away from him was that, Cracking was, effort in off the crossbar Yeah Was that your um, favourite Gillian goal or have you got, you got a better one than that you can uh, tell us about? Nicky Southall versus Sheffield Wednesday in the FA Cup fifth round at Priestfield they were premiership and we were what is now League One and uh, that was a pretty special goal are you furiously Googling Gillingham goals over there, DC? <laughs> um, final question, I suppose, has to be about uh, Peter Taylor. How do you think he's done since he's come in? Uh, well, he was the first manager when I started going to watch Gillingham and he'd done a great job in the one year then. And I was personally happy that he's been given the job full-time. I think we will push on next year and hopefully it'll be more mid, mid-table than lower <laughs> mid-table, maybe even a bit better, who knows? You can only dream. Uh, Greg, your team and this is up. Thanks very much. Cheers. My club in 125 seconds. We are going up. We've got the Football League covered. So just two more shows to go then and I'm not sure we can cram in the remaining 30 sides on my club into the last couple of weeks of the season but we can bring you at least a couple more. So if you want to be on next week or the week after the final two shows of the season, tweet us at Wagyu Podcast or send us an email via the website wearegoingup.co.uk slash contact. Uh, in just a second time to turn our attention to the League 1 and League 2 playoffs but before we do, uh, just a couple of words on Wigan. Lads, they've had a, a marathon season, 62 games long, the Europa League and FA Cup semi-final two trips to Wembley two managers and uh, ultimately it ended in playoff disappointment do you think the sheer amount of football they've played this season cost them I mean they did look a little bit leggy on Monday night yeah I mean it's a monumental amount of games for anybody to play let alone one with you know a championship squad it's disappointing it's ended on a sour note isn't it really like I saw some quotes from Maria Rosa saying they're going to be winners next year and I think they probably will be wrong the front runners with good reason but yeah potentially uh, there's, you know, there's no way of telling is there but if they hadn't have had that 10 game interruption to their league season maybe they could have made a a better fist of it and been in amongst the top two I just watching the game last night I just thought I mean that may well be a factor but Wigan as well as they'd done this season certainly last night they didn't have anything that was they didn't have a cutting edge did they no I thought they played played without a striker didn't they I thought that was one of the key things that I kind of took from the game in that as soon as they scored they kind of sat back which is fine as long as you've got an out ball but every time they were getting the ball they were just hoofing it at the pitch and QPR would just get it, recycle it under no pressure and bring it straight back. And yeah, they did really well to kind of bat away the the advances for the best part of what, an hour, 70 minutes. But then once they cracked, it was always kind of, well, that's that. They looked deflated and then, you know, Austin goes and gets the second in uh, extra time and QPR on the way to Wembley. Standard Gary Colwell mistake in there as well, <laughs> wasn't there, for the penalty. Such a tired challenge. And, wasn't it? I mean, I thought defen- defensively, they'd, they'd been so good. They were inviting the pressure on, though, and QPR were having all of the play. And then it was just one little lazy tackle by Colwell, penalty, equaliser. And of course, straight after the equaliser, Scott Carson going to kick the ball Tremendous. away. Oh, <laughs> absolutely leathered Bobby Zamora, didn't absolutely he? Brilliant. Bobby Zamora goes Poor to Bobby. Pick, pick the ball out the back of the net <laughs> and he gets absolutely smacked. That's assault if you do that in the streets. Ref, another pen, please. That's what I'd have been saying <laughs> straight away. Uh, right, OK. Uh, congratulations to Wigan, though. They've had a great season and I'm sure they'll come again stronger next year. It's what Uwe Rosas Brentford did after their disappointment last season. Uh, down into League One then. Congratulations to Leighton Orient. They are going to Wembley for the League One playoff final. They have beat Peterborough uh, 2-1 on Tuesday night and, of course, one all in the 
first leg so they win on aggregate by three goals to two the game has just finished as we're recording this is a mass pitch invasion um, at Brisbane Road the Matchroom Stadium yeah. but you've got to be pleased for Orient I mean Peterborough finished a distant seventh in that division so I mean I don't know what the exact points gap was between the two but it would have been a lot and it's good to see uh, Orient have got their chance now to to, to, to finally clinch that promotion yeah. in a one-off game at Wembley I mean Peterborough will be disappointed on the night and right now but you know they've they've been to Wembley this season. They won the JPT. They've they've had their seasons in the Championship of, of, of mm. recent years. I'm sure they'll be, you know, in the playoff picture again next season. So I mean, it's not a complete and utter disaster for for Peterborough and Leighton Orient. I think you have to say deserve it because they've been fantastic this season, beaten by two exceptional teams in Wolves and Brentford. I mean, they find themselves as good a season as they've had. You know, they're also in a season where there's been, you know, what, five other teams who've been excellent as well in, you know, the top two plus Preston and uh, Preston and Rotherham as well, Norwich themselves. So, it, you know, I'm pleased that they've got to the final because I think they deserve it. Craig Oldcock, that chance right at the end for Peterborough though. In the yeah. last minute with everyone up and he just needed it, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he didn't quite connect with yeah. anticipate. He looked like the keeper... Um, Olenek might have got it just before him and then yeah, it just yeah. came to him well, he, had, oh. he had a really good game in the first game uh, Lesnik, which is uh, one of the reasons they managed to go into this yeah, uh, second leg all the time they leg. did yeah I mean they were a better team for sure over the two legs weren't they definitely ok the uh, the other semi-final is all square uh, after the first game second leg on Thursday night at the New York Stadium Preston won Rotherham won and uh, to quote Steve Evans if there is a better goal in the playoffs this year then I'll wake up a chicken <laughs> that's, that's what he said afterwards Joe Garner I saw a video the other day I, I, the what, sound Steve was, Evans waking, waking up, up a chicken? No, the sound was off, but that would be I imagine it was hit. some sort of end of season bonding exercise. Steve Evans was uh, being interviewed by Sky at a paintballing um, <laughs> <God>. arena. <laughs> like with a, he had a balaclava on and his glasses were like up over his head. <laughs> just literally just come out of the game and he was right there. Um, what a goal though. Oh, super. It Fantastic. was incredible, wasn't it? I mean, Brilliant. the the touch and then the flick over. I mean, it did sit up beautifully for him then, but he still. But well, he made of, of his own doing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Uh, Rotherham had the better of the first half. They went ahead through uh, Alex Ravel. Uh, that was the equaliser at the start of the second half. All three games, Jim, between the two sides have been draws this season. Thursday night at the New York Stadium. How do you see this one going? Well, yeah, as you said, the previous meetings between the two, if I was a Preston fan, uh, I'd be a little bit worried if I had a late train back because you could be in for extra time and penalties, I think. But, uh, you know, it's nice to see these games from a neutral point of view anyway, going into the second leg quite finely balanced, isn't it? And um, still everything to play for. It makes it for, for kind of an exciting spectacle. Preston have got a terrible record in the playoffs. They do. Haven't they? But Simon Grayson, conversely, has an excellent record at getting promoted from League One. So unstoppable force meets the immovable objects. Well, uh, Kieran Agard, Lee Frecklington and Richard Brindley might not be uh, fit for Rotherham, which is a bit of a blow. Uh, Obviously, Agard missed the first game as well. 25 goals he's got this season. Uh, So we will preview the League One playoff final uh, on the show next week. So uh, we know late... Are you tired over there, by the way? uh, Yeah, I am. Um, I've been swimming. Have you? I've been swimming today in the new Olympic swimming pool bit that's open Good. Okay, for how long 50 metres is a bloody long way <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise right, well, you have a little lie down over every, there I didn't do more than one consecutive length at a time I had to stop at the end stop of every bit yeah. brilliant Good. that's the Olympic legacy right there <laughs> a very um, tired DCW um, the, uh, yeah, so the League 1 player final late and orient against either Rotherham or Preston we'll preview that next week uh, down into League 2 then only uh, the odd goal in the first legs of these two uh, York City nil, Fleetwood 1 York's first defeat in 18 games uh, they've been on this incredible run and it would just be football to lose the one that kind of mattered although they're not out of it yet and uh, the goal scored by Scrappy an ex- goal to concede yeah, yeah scored by an ex-York player uh, Matty Blair 
And um, yeah, I think uh, Fleetwood will obviously fancy themselves at home now to, to finish the job. But York have won at Fleetwood this season. Yeah, and they do have that. Uh, you know, they only even in in that game they only lost by one goal. That defence really has been the the bedrock of their success of their incredible run since the turn of the year. Um, so I wouldn't write them off at all. Absolutely not. Nick Pope made a couple of uh, key saves. Mark Roberts, very impressive for Fleetwood. And we had Mark on the show, didn't we? We did. Earlier this season. So hopefully if they get to Wembley, we'll maybe get a chance to catch up with him again. Um, the one thing that I think a lot of people who saw the game uh, listen to this will, will, I think we have to mention, is the complete and utter lack of away fans. There was 251 uh, away fans behind that goal, which for a playoff semi-final... I mean, Fleetwood, you know, they're the, the, the biggest crowd, but they're, they're certainly not one of the smallest crowds. So, I hope all the Club Wembley boys and girls turn up for that final. Well, exactly. How many are they going to take offensive. to Wembley? 400. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, maybe it's got something to do with the fact that the game was obviously originally scheduled for Saturday and then it was called off and then it was yeah. moved yeah, to the Monday. Yeah, yeah. But even still, still. poor. Uh, so the League Two playoff final will be between one of uh, York and Fleetwood and Burton Albion and Southend. Uh, finished Burton Albion 1, Southend 0 in the first game at the weekend. Burton down to 10 men for a large part of the second half, but they ground out... Uh, uh, a 1-0 victory which is something they've done a lot this season and it was a great goal wasn't it Adam McGurk scoring it it was a lovely little chip over Daniel Bentley a keeper we've talked about a few times this season not, not much he could do really it was a, an excellent finish nice little passing move um, terrible hair though from yes Beck. awful Barnet yeah uh, it was a great move there Billy Key with the uh, with the assist and um, a really I thought harsh red card in that game for Ian Sharps um, for two yellows the first was never Never a handball. Mm. But Southend have been quite strong at Roots Hall this season. Jim, would you fancy them to turn that around against Burton in the second leg? They beat them there in the, in the league in the last last regular game of the season. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, Burton being so solid, they're going to be tough to break down, especially kind of they're one of the teams you wouldn't really want to go into a second leg behind to because they have been so good, as you said, of grinding out kind of tight results. They're not the type of team to go uh, and concede a couple of goals, you know, they probably haven't done that many times at all this season. So Southend have got their work cut out, but as you say, very good record at Roots Hall and perfectly capable of turning it round if they, they, they play well on the day. So the final of uh, the League Two playoffs will be on Monday the 26th of May at Wembley. We'll talk about who's in that final on the show next week. Some other stories doing the rounds this week. Barry Ferguson has left Blackpool uh, after leading them to safety. Um, Dundee United have denied Blackpool permission to speak to Jackie McNamara. Uh, mm. which is quite interesting uh, in terms of uh, where Carl Oyston goes next with that. Uh, Mickey Mellon, who uh, left Barnsley in March and previously led Fleetwood, who we were just talking about to promotion from the conference, has been appointed as the new manager of Shrewsbury, uh, who were relegated down to League Two. So Michael Jackson moves down the pecking order. I think he's going to be one of the assistants there. And the final thing, um, sort of uh, uh, any other business, uh, Wickham, a proposed takeover is not going to happen after two offers for the club fell through. Um, yeah. So the Wickham Wanderers Trust had expected an offer after survival in League Two, but it never really materialised, which is a bit of a shame, isn't it? Because we yeah. talked to Phil, Phil Catchpole, a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying that the fan-run ownership sort of thing at Wickham hadn't really gone no. according to plan. They made some mistakes are, this season. I think there are always going to be certain, depending on the makeup of the fans and the board and the way it's done, there's always potentially limitations to a fan ownership system. I mean, it's good on the one hand because you you know you 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 can have faith in that the club's in the right hands and those people have only ever got the best interest of the club at heart. But if you're looking to, you know, maybe get some investment on board and move forward, you might need somebody with a bit more money. So you know, you might need to do something a little bit different. So I'm sure Wickham will want to get that sorted out if they can over the summer. Maybe you know, we don't know why these bids have fallen through. Sometimes these deals are very complicated. It might be for you know, something maybe that could be revived. Uh, the makeup of people could be different. I'm not sure what the intricacies are, but 
they'll certainly be looking to try and turn it around okie dokie that is pretty much it uh, for this week's show thank you very much for listening if you'd like to get in touch on Twitter you can find us at Wagyu Podcast the SoundCloud page is soundcloud.com uh, slash Wagyu Podcast and you can read the blogs and check out the website some really good stuff actually has gone up there uh, this week uh, including the uh, preview of the second leg of Rotherham Preston uh, wearegoingup.co.uk a reminder too that thanks to our friends at Audible you can still get your ears around a free audio book there's over 100,000 loads of good sports books there so that offer is still there all you need to do is go to this URL and sign up audible.co.uk slash going up so this weekend Jim where are you going to be? London you're going to be in, oh you're going to be in London yeah oh. I'm, I am going to happens. the uh, FA Cup final oh yeah in a, in a box and with a you certain that? bookmaker um, oh, taking us God. for a few uh, few drinks and I'm going to be one of the Club Wembley people yeah. that are too interested in their prawn sandwiches at okay. time to ridiculously small amount of tickets given to Arsenal and Hull City fans. Just like people like you. Because of you lording up with your bloody pie at half-time. My my Saturday night is I'm going to go and see um, David Brent and the foregone conclusion, which I'm very excited about. I'm I'm gutted that I'm not going to be there. And why are you not going to be there? Because I'm going to be sunning myself, actually, in In, in lovely 27-degree heat in in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv! Not an obvious choice. Why Tel Aviv? Um, Trend setting. Well, one of my... Best friends is getting married in a, in a week, just over a week's time. Uh, and I'm the two best men. I'm I'm one of them, and there's the three of us. Uh, we decided we go away somewhere. We oh, well, it's sort of like a stag do. We've had the stag do as we mentioned last <laughs> Secondary week. Secondary stag do. And it's sort of like another one. Hopefully, okay. I won't come back in as bad a state as I did from Brighton. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, is, are you going to take in any football as the Israeli season finished? I'm not sure. I need to check it out. Maybe I can Maccabi. Tel Aviv, there's yeah. everyone. Halfwell, Tel Aviv. Yeah. If we've got any Israeli listeners, please do get in touch. Feel free. What if we do? I'm sure I'll check the stats. I'm sure we do. Uh, so get in touch uh, this week. And then are you going to be on the show next week then? Or are you going to still be recovering? Well, I'll be back on Monday. So okay. we'll see what I'm <laughs> Judging by I what feel, state you were I'll in last you know. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might not be the best idea. Anyway, we'll be back next week reviewing the second legs of those League One and League Two playoff semi finals. Uh, and uh, looking forward to the finals themselves. So we'll speak to you in seven days' time. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.